electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Power Lunch. I'm John Fort. Stocks finishing up another strong week with gains for the major averages between one and a half and two percent. After yesterday's huge rally, NVIDIA adding another about a percent and a half so far today. It's $272 billion of market cap added yesterday. They were a record for one company in one trading session. And now the market cap sitting right about at $2 trillion. And that's bringing up an old problem for the market. Halitosis. Bad breath. Are the markets too concentrated in just a small handful of stocks? Bob Pisani joins us now to tell us just how concerned we should be. Bob? Maybe not so much, John. How much should we really worry about this concentration risk? The top 10 stocks in the S&P 500, which include the magnificent seven stocks like NVIDIA and Microsoft, it's now 33% of the value of the S&P 500. That is high, but it is not unprecedented. During the 1950s and 1960s, it was not unusual for the top 10 stocks to make up 30% or more of the market cap of the S&P. In the 1970s, when the nifty 50 stocks, companies like IBM, Polaroid, Xerox, American Express, were in vogue, the top 10 holdings jumped to more than 40% of the S&P 500. It jumped towards 30% again at the end of the 1990s during the internet boom. And other countries like China, France, and Germany have far higher concentration in the top 10 names than the U.S., typically 40 to 50 percent or more in those countries. Bottom line is this. Concentration is a characteristic of market cap weighted indexes like the S&P 500. These indexes reward the winners and they penalize the losers by definition. So this concentration has been a boon to index investors and to U.S. investors in general. For example, investors who own the S&P 500 or other top indexes, they don't have to pick the winners. They're just going along for the ride. And NVIDIA, Microsoft have been winners. Second, U.S. stocks are global market leaders. And when a small group like the Magnificent Seven become the market leaders, it almost always means the U.S. stock market outperforms the world. And that is exactly what has happened. The U.S. stock market was 40% of the global market capitalization a year, year and a half ago. It's now over 50% of global market capitalization. U.S. investors, John, have benefited from the AI boom and the innovation of U.S. technology companies. And I know, John, everybody says, what happens if they correct? NVIDIA corrected. It was down 60% at one point in 2022. Who knows? It could get correct again. But this is a characteristic of these stocks. And you saw those numbers, John. They were truly mind-boggling, those earnings numbers. Oh, yeah. We saw them up close in overtime for sure. Bob Pisani, thank you. So right now, it seems only two things matter to the markets, maybe. Big tech and the Fed. Our next guest says while market performance is concentrated in a handful of tech names, the focus should be on the competitive edge of a company and its sustainability. Joining us now is Carl Farmer, Portfolio Manager with Rockland Trust. Carl, happy Friday. I hear you. At the same time, I worry about, I remember when bond investors were caught offsides when the Fed started hiking so fast. and Everybody was surprised, like, oh, where did this come from? Couldn't the same thing happen in equities here? It's possible. Hey, John, thanks for having me on today. 
Uh, certainly, um, as previous guests have mentioned, NVIDIA's amazing quarter and guidance showed improving margins, strong demand, backlog, stocks up over 60% year to date. And Bob just commented that you know market performance, although concentrated in some of the tech names, responsible for over half of the year-to-date returns. There is some broadening out though, which is uh, which is certainly certainly helpful in terms of healthcare and financials are up over seven percent so far. So there may there may be some worry, uh, but I think the focus needs to be on what is the company's like you said competitive edge and is it sustainable? Uh, and certainly, Nvidia had a wonderful print yesterday, and it's all the all the talk of the town. Talk more about healthcare and financials because normally seven percent would be wow eye popping kind of in a regular year for equities, but up against what we're seeing happening in tech with Nvidia driven by AI, it looks small. So talking to Medtronic earlier this week, I believe it was, they reported earnings. Their diabetes business turning around, some of that GLP one anxiety from last summer easing off. What's the potential, particularly in healthcare? No, certainly. When you mentioned Medtronic, I think a lot of the medical device makers. Uh, particularly coming coming out of the pandemic, where the voluntary and elective procedures were at a, at a decline because you know certainly you couldn't get in to see anyone. When you've had more of a rebound in that area, all of a sudden you needed to get supply and demand more back in more back in line, and you're starting to see some better things from healthcare moving forward. And you should see that in device, and we certainly see it on the pharma side as well. Can we finally stop worrying about the health of the consumer? We just had the Live Nation CEO on last hour talking about just how strong the appetite for concerts and going out continues to be. It's not just about Taylor Swift and Beyonce. It's about a lot more than that. Uh, But at the same time, prices remain stubbornly high and there's a concern out there about how long this continues. Should should we stop worrying? Uh, I don't know if we should stop worrying. I think it's always a concern. Uh, You know, you mentioned the Fed just a bit ago. When we first started the year, I think the thought was that the Fed's potential dot plot of only cutting three times might be a little too conservative, and they might cut out about six times to get us below 4%. I think now there is the belief that given the inflation prints, like you said, costs aren't coming down maybe as quickly as thought a couple of months ago, kind of staying between 3 and 4%. And the consumer's been very resilient, and I think the Fed is less likely to try to cut uh, until maybe you start seeing a little, a little more weakness. I think they're fine with the pause where they are until they see some data saying otherwise. Okay, you like Alphabet, Pepsi, and Nextera. We had a, a guest just a few minutes ago making the case for Alphabet, so I want to leave that one out. Tell me about Pepsi sure. and Nextera. No, I, absolutely. So uh, as far as Pepsi goes, again, a, a non-tech name, uh, soda and snack foods, you mentioned the consumer, very resilient. Uh, Pepsi's basically trading in a market multiple. It's a less cyclical business, and it's actually growing faster overseas now. It's over 40% of sales, so certainly for investors focusing on the long term and maybe not trying to uh, catch a trend. We certainly still like snack foods and soda. Okay. And Nextera? On Nextera. So this is maybe a name people haven't heard of as much. It's one of the largest power producers around. Uh, and that's kind of a concentrated in the Florida area. A third of their revenues are renewable resources. And the sell-off has provided a very attractive valuation for investors to get in. Uh, and also right now, they're trading at around a 3.6% dividend yield and they've committed to raising that 10% a year over the next couple of years. So we kind of like that as a utility, but also a play in the future. All right. Some interesting ideas. Carl, thank you. Carl Farmer from Rockland Trust. Now let's tackle the big week for tech. The Nasdaq slipping lower today, but still positive for the week, thanks to huge gains from NVIDIA and its cousins. But how much longer can this AI excitement last? Our next guest thinks the AI space is going to continue to grow, 
but questions whether NVIDIA will be able to continue to grow at the rate it has so far. Daniel Newman, CEO of the Futurum Group. Uh, Dan, good to see you. So first of all, why questioning NVIDIA? Hey, John. Well, in 2020, I said this will be the next trillion-dollar market cap company. And in 22, when the stock was trading around 170, I was on CNBC and actually said, this is the time to get behind. I always worry when you get too much momentum, when you have the entire bandwagon is full and everybody's running to pile on. That's the moment where you have to start to say, can this continue? And this week in tech, John, there was some inflections that took place. We heard Pat Gelsinger at the Intel event and Satya Nadella joined him talking about making networking chips because they want to reduce the reliance on NVIDIA. You are seeing all of its major partners and ecosystem, uh, you know, cloud providers, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Oracle with Ampere, they're all looking to make their own chips. And so NVIDIA has had this kind of no headwind run and it's done incredibly well, but for the first time, Competition is coming. And I didn't even mention AMD, but Lisa Susan play now, too. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, there's a lot of money continuing to flow into this space. And as an example of what's driving AI demand, a bridge is a startup that's doing AI for clinical documentation. So doctors can focus on conversations with patients and it, the AI, can do note taking and follow up in the background. I spoke to Dr. Shiv Rao, who's founder and CEO of a bridge, about the $100 million, $150 million Series C he's announcing today and three places that money's going. One is proprietary data sets that we can use to train models, but then compute is, is the other piece of this. And then finally, it's about world-class people. And so that those are the like the three major important puzzle pieces that we're putting together with this new fundraise. One of those pieces is compute. And though others are getting ready to have products to sell, NVIDIA is selling them right now. And that's just one startup with, you know, uh, not saying they're spending all that $150 million right now, but... A big chunk of it is going toward compute. Yeah, the case is very strong for NVIDIA. And I guess when I say there's a bit of a risk or contrarian view, it's the speed of which it's grown and the lack of competition and how much that's driven this price up. I feel like there is a desire across the ecosystem to see more competition. I think Microsoft and AWS making big bets on homegrown silicon are just a couple of the for instances but it's the pile on that concerns me. Like I said, in, in 22, when it was at 170, and people were like, oh, this could go to what, below 100? And I was like, no, absolutely not. AI is going to be a massive tailwind, and this whole industry is going to grow. But people, John, they want this huge growth rate. They want to see, you're talking 265% plus in revenue growth, 400% plus in EPS growth. That's eye-watering. And so when that number slows, you know, I have a comparison from a few years ago with Zoom. Now, AI will grow faster and it is more sustainable, but you have the biggest companies in the world. And I haven't even mentioned Apple. They're all entering the space in different capacities and they're going to see some, there's going to be a catch up trade and there's going to be some other companies that have to grow. It can't all go to one company. It's just not good for the innovation or for the competitive landscape. A lot of people are expecting that the next wave of uh, dramatic potential for growth is going to come from application companies and um, you know your sales forces. Microsoft still fits in that arena. ServiceNow is one that's been pushing pretty hard. Adobe, etc. Who do you like in that set? Yeah, you actually named a, a few of the ones I really like. I'm a big fan of ServiceNow. I think what they're doing for productivity and efficiency is going to be really important. 
you know, Microsoft across the applications landscape, it, the business is just so well diversified. And of course, uh, Salesforce on the CRM side, you didn't mention one that I think is done really well, which is Oracle. And Oracle is really, really sticky and it has made big investments in AI. And it's not something that companies can turn over. I mean, SAP has some of those similar characteristics. All of these companies are looking at net revenue expansion by making AI part of their story. And by the way, a lot of it will be built on NVIDIA, but it's gonna be built on other architectures as well. These companies are gonna be looking to get involved in the profitability. NVIDIA is taking 80, 85% of the bomb right now on most of these AI projects. And these bigger companies are, have to find a way to make money. And that's part of the reason I like some of these other companies getting involved in the chips as well. Yeah, I'm also curious about some of these smaller industry specific AI-driven plays like your Samsara's, like your Procore's Duolingo. We'll talk more about all of that, Dan, on the other side of this break. You're going to be back with us. After the break, Reddit is going public with some well-known investors as well as some well-known controversy behind it. So how big a moment is this for Wall Street? Plus, it's a troubling time for the media space. Companies are fighting for every bit of ground, content, consumers, partnerships, but some doing better than others. We're going to have a media bullfight further ahead. Power Watch. We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. A Reddit revolution might be hitting Wall Street, but it won't be like last time. The social platform that served as the backdrop of market rebellion is now going public itself. Our Julia Borston has the details. Julia. Well, John, Reddit's S1 revealing um, that it's looking to list on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker RDD, RDDT. It had $804 million in annual sales for 2023. That's up 20% from the $667 million it reported the prior year. The company's net loss of last year was $91 million. That is smaller than the $159 million net loss in 2022. Now, Reddit's average revenue per user declined over the past year to $3.40. But the company announced it has 73 million daily active unique users and 267.5 million weekly actives. So now the company is working to involve its community in its IPO. It's reserved approximately 1.3 million shares of Class A common stock to fund what they're calling community-related programs. And its non-employed moderators, they're called Redditors, will be able to participate in the IPO through the company's directed share program. Now, in the S1, 
the company explains the value in its primary revenue stream, which is advertising, saying that its users see Reddit as a trustworthy place to inform their purchase decisions. The company also saying it has an emerging business in data licensing and a future business around the user economy, including some e-commerce. Now, in terms of Reddit's ownership, AI, uh, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman owns 8.7% of the company, making him the third largest shareholder behind the Newhouse Families Advance, which owns a third of the company, and Chinese tech giant Tencent, which owns 11% of Reddit. Now, among its risk factors, Reddit warns that its high brand recognition with retail investors and its own subreddit, Wall Street Bets, which drove up GameStop could actually cause what they're calling extreme volatility for reasons unrelated to its underlying business. So one of its own subreddits is part of the risk there, John. <laughs> yeah, the, the call's coming from inside the house, perhaps. Julia, stick around for more <laughs> on Reddit's rise and the company's future. Let's bring back Daniel Newman, CEO of the Futurum Group. Daniel, I, here's what I don't get about Reddit, right? It, it's, it seems to be doing fine. But in a world where Meta has surged again, where Snap has been having its difficulties and power seems to be accruing to those already big, is there a case that Reddit is somehow going to embed itself in either the commerce or advertising fabric of the Internet the way Meta did, the way Alphabet did? Or is it just going to stay, you know, a fine little business? Because that, that's going to matter to what kind of multiple we put on this. Yeah, John, I, I'm actually a little puzzled about this whole deal. Um, you have a company that's losing money. Now, this is maybe indicative that we're pivoting from the era where we really turned companies' focus on operating and profitability back to growth. But we also have a company that does have some very in-depth data. And the, the depth of the data, the commitment of its engaged community could be really invaluable in the era of large language models and AI. You know, we have these kinds of very light transactional interactions that take place on other social networks. You're talking here rich insights. The, you know, we talked a lot about the Wall Street bets, the amount of, you know, time that these folks spent learning in their communities and putting knowledge back into the communities. Could this be somehow bundled and monetized? That's what I'm really wondering. And then the other part is the API. You know, they have the, the connection with Google is how do you take the API of all this data and then make it usable across these other LLMs? And of course, Sam Altman's involvement, where could he help take this thing? Yeah, Julia, at the same time, with all that data on Wall Street bets and other places, a lot of Redditors made some really dumb trades. It's a, you know who else has a lot of data? Governments, and they're not necessarily nimble or worth a lot of money in the public market. So is there an argument out there that you've heard about why Reddit is going to be the next Google that, that investors should know about? Well, the, I would say the main comparison to Google is that Reddit says that it has this huge untapped opportunity when it comes to search. But I don't think that Reddit is saying it's going to be the next Google. I mean, they did say that the addressable market for advertising is right now about a trillion dollars. But the question about who's going to be able to take a meaningful share of that, I mean, right now there is a digital duopoly in the advertising, the digital advertising market that is Google and Meta. The third player, Amazon, is growing incredibly quickly in terms of digital advertising. I think that this business has the potential to have um, to be able to use the data on the platform to better target ads, to be able to use AI to better target ads. They talked a lot about the opportunity in search um, and, and to really leverage 
that there. But I don't think this is talking about becoming the next Google. This is talking about um, becoming something a lot more personalized and intimate um, with, with perhaps a lot of opportunity even around e-commerce, but not at the scale of a Google. So maybe the next Pinterest, huh, Dan? Yeah, I think they have to go down that route, John. I, I can't see a situation in which they're going to get the growth in the scale. They're coming in on a slow mid-double-digit growth rate, which is okay. But again, they're sub $1 billion in revenue. And then, of course, they're coming in with, with losses on the bottom line. The market turning, yes. The high-quality data, definitely interesting for advertisers. But the growth, I just don't know who's going to be there besides its own community. And we've seen how that's worked out with Robinhood and others. It doesn't always work out well. I just don't like it that much. Julia, maybe a heck of an opportunity for a pivot. I mean, it is a well-known brand. They have a decent amount of revenue. AI is the future. I imagine there are some things out there that they could buy. I mean, I'm trying to put a smiley face on this after my you know, skeptical line of questioning. Look, I think that there's a huge opportunity here because their community is so very much engaged. Um, and so the question is, is that opportunity around e-commerce, which is something they say is a potential down the line, or is it what they describe as a more near-term opportunity, which is in, in selling their and licensing their data to these large language models? So I think that AI is going to be a big piece of it, whether it's using AI to improve the ad business or, or leveraging their data to improve other companies' um, AI models. But th there's no denying that this is a very committed, um, perhaps even addicted community to these subreddits. Well, you know, maybe they can use their stock as a currency and buy GameStop or AMC. Uh, Julia, Dan, thank you. Further ahead, equity and opportunity in healthcare, a new push to make expensive sickle cell drugs more accessible. Power Lunch will be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Power Lunch. The major indices are taking a breather after yesterday's rally, but bond yields, they're higher once again. Our Rick Santelli joins us from the trading floor in Chicago. Rick? You know, John Ford, it's been a wild week. Whether it's NVIDIA, the whole tech rally, the Magnificent Seven, the Great Eight, however you want to look at the world, look at stocks, look at the Dow, look at the S&P for two weeks. It's a rocket ship. Geez, everybody's portfolio should look that good. And what have twos and tens done? Well, yesterday, they're their highest yield closes of the year. As a matter of fact, two and a half months for twos, three months for tens. Now, we see that 10-year yields are down on the week, two-year yields are up on the week. Curves the most inverted since the end of December. How do we interpret all that? Well, I know how we can interpret it. We can come over here and talk to Shane. Shane, hey, how's it going? Good. How about yourself? All right. It's been a wild week. It looks as though NASDAQ is slipping just a little bit. S&P, Dow Jones on pace for another all-time record high close. How could all this be going on after all the inflation data last week? Yeah, you certainly got that right, Rick. I think what the investor community was looking for, they found yesterday in NVIDIA's earnings. 
So I think they're looking to see if companies can remain successful and through this business climate. Now, the notion of recession, you know, you look at the papers, when, when I used to say there may be a recession, or I think there will be and there wasn't, that was called a mistake. Nowadays, uh, the big communities of dealers are reevaluating. They see the recession much lower probability, but they still see the Fed tightening, or excuse me, easing, not happening in the first but in March, maybe all the way back into June, your thoughts? They do. What we saw last week in the CPI print on Tuesday was a little bit higher than expected. So they pushed that rate cut back from uh, March to mid-year. And I think what they're going to see is that uh, it's going to depend on the next two weeks where data comes in and how the Fed reacts to that data. As far as I know, they're not watching the S&P 500. And you bring up a great point. They shouldn't be watching the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But we all know it must have some type of effect on them, especially after the resurgence of last week's inflation. Do you think those numbers for January PPI and CPI were a one-off? I don't know if they're a one-off. What we have seen in the options marketplace is a renewed interest in upside versus downside protection. So what we're waiting to see in the next couple of weeks is to see if that was a one-off or is a sign to tell of something to come. I see. And, of course, we all know in the beginning of March, not that far away, we get our first major employment report. Many have been whispering that claims might be lower because certain states are giving estimated readings. Is there any talk that some of these numbers that we all put so much credence in might not be as representative of strength as we think they are? You might be right, Rick. I'm not sure about that, but we're, we're waiting to see what uh, Powell says on March 6th. So we're waiting to see what he has to say about the numbers and the renewed data coming out. Right, and that, of course, is the week of the jobs report. I want to thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. John Fort, back to you, and have a great weekend. All right, Rick. Interesting move to upside protection. We'll watch that. Now let's get to Eamon Javers for a CNBC News update. Eamon. John, University of Georgia officials say a person of interest is facing questioning after a nursing student was found dead Thursday on campus. Police discovered the young woman's body after a friend called them, concerned she had not come back yet from a run. UGA canceled classes today as authorities investigate. Police say they suspect foul play. More than a dozen people are still missing today after a large fire broke out at an apartment block in the Spanish city of Valencia. It killed at least 10 people. The cause of the fire is not clear, but some experts say it likely spread quickly from a combination of strong winds and the plastic materials used in the building facade. And the NFL announced a record-breaking salary cap today for 2024. It now stands at $255 million per team, a more than $30 million jump from last year. The league says the unprecedented increase is partially from a big jump in media revenue for the season. No word, John, on whether it's going to be enough to help the Philadelphia Eagles next. <laughs> My cousin Edwin would be worried about that as well. Eamon, thank you. You bet. Warner Brothers Discovery reporting a big miss, warning of cash flow headwinds in the year ahead. We're going to dig deeper after the break. It has been a tough few years for media stocks, cord cutting, colossal costs, content competition. Shares of Disney are down more than 40% since 2021, while shares of Warner Brothers Discovery are down more than 80%, including a 10% post-earnings drop today. So, which falling knife do you want to catch, and which one do you let hit the floor? Our next guests disagree, which means it's time for a bullfight. Needham's Laura Martin has a buy rating on Disney, but says it's too early to get into Warner Brothers. 
while T.D. Cowan's Doug Crutes says opportunity in WBD, but is more cautious on Disney. Laura, perhaps my falling knife joke wasn't fair to Disney. It is up 19 percent year to date. But why do you like it here? Um, I really, we just recently upgraded the Walt Disney Company after five years at a hold. We went to a buy recently, right on their earnings, actually. I really like what Bob Iger is doing here now. I like the ESPN joint venture a lot. I like the fact he keeps having cost cutting more and more and more. So he's going to exceed his $7.5 billion of cost cutting. We have a new chief financial officer there from Amazon. Those that that empire really comes at free cash flow growth is their primary metric. So I think we're going to get over delivery of profitability and free cash flow growth. And you've got the parks. So whereas Warner Brothers is sort of pure play, the melting ice cube of linear TV at Disney, half their revenue comes from parks. So you're sort of hedged. Um, one can be working and one can't be. You're, you don't have all your eggs in one basket. OK, so Doug, give me the best case scenario on WBD. Yeah, so, you know, I think if you look at Disney and Warner, they're sort of 1A and 1B in terms of having the best content libraries, the best content creation engines. Uh, Warner is trading exceedingly cheaply at about six times EBITDA. Disney's, you know, 2X that. And I think even if you were to say the parks business is worth a higher multiple, which it probably is, I think Disney's content business is still selling at a premium to Warner's. Uh, you know, Warner has said that they're going to get their DTC business to a billion dollars in EBITDA next year. They're the only uh, major media company to put out a, a DTC earnings target of more than break even. And I, I think that speaks to the strength of their product. Um, they're also in the middle of deleveraging. And as they deleverage the balance sheet, uh, the value accretes to the, accretes to the equity very quickly. Okay, Laura. So what if, what if I, I tried to make this a bear fight in a way? Because sometimes the answer is neither. There's a reason why Nelson Peltz is, you know, on Bob Iger's case right now. And in a way, Disney's got to compete with some deep, deep pockets in Apple, Amazon, Alphabet for distribution that it didn't have to compete with before. What's going to be the first clear sign that this Iger-led turnaround is working? So the key word in, because I agree 100% with you, it is very hard to compete with Apple and Amazon and Alphabet but they are distribution. And what you have here at Disney is world-class IP and world-class storytelling. So that's what you have to see. And both of these companies are, their core business is making content. My opinion is Warner Brothers is unproven under current management because a lot of people left from the traditional under AT&T's ownership. But at Disney, you sort of have the same crew, although, you know, so, and Iger's back, and he really is a content guy. So if you had to bet on one guy making great content over the next two years with $10 billion spent on content, excluding sports, I think you'd bet on the Walt Disney Company with its Marvel and Star Wars franchises, and you wouldn't really bet as much on Warner until... The Discovery guys can prove they can do the big budget films. So far, they're really hit and miss. Well, I might personally bet on Comcast, but that's because I work for CNBC, which is owned by Comcast. So I'll throw that in there. Doug, uh, tell me about why you think this management team at Warner Brothers is up to this task. How much depends on how much they're willing to spend on direct to consumer, which might just be lighting money on fire? Well, the, the lighting money on fire happened under AT&T, and, and, and David Zoslav put a stop to that pretty quickly. Uh, you know, they're still willing to take big swings on good projects. They've got Dune 2 coming out uh, next weekend. It's got a 98% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 
clearly they hit the mark on quality there. You know, Laura alluded to the fact that, you know, Iger is a proven commodity, but he's also going to be out of there in two years if they stick to their plan. Uh, Do they ever stick to their plan on Iger leaving, Doug? (laughs) Yeah, well, they've been trying to replace him for 10 years and haven't found the right person yet. So, uh, you know, it is it is a pretty big question mark. Uh, Dave Zaslav hired uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran to run Warner to run uh, DC. Uh, that's an asset that had massively underperformed for them compared to what Disney's been able to do with Marvel. And I, I think that was a bit of an inspired hire. James Gunn really knows the content, loves the content. Safran's a very proven producer. So I do think that the DC part of the business, which really underperformed in 2023, is going to get a lot better in, in starting in 25. All right. I know this is a bullfight on these two stocks, but Laura, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your what's your other bull pick, if not Disney? Um, if not Disney. So in um, so I cover I cover all the big caps. So right now I'm very high on Gen AI. Right. As NVIDIA is proving to us. So I really like Amazon this year. I really like Alphabet this year because but in data, media. the future. Oh, in media. OK, yeah. so in media. Yeah, so sorry. Um, Yeah, so we have a buy on Paramount because we think it's going to get taken over, but that's the only reason we'd be in it. And specifically, he got asked today, Zaslav on the Warner Brothers call, are you looking at acquisitions? And of course, they were referring to Paramount. And he said, look, we're talking to everybody, but we have a really high bar. It's my opinion that Paramount is cheap enough and that David Zaslav at Warner Brothers needs CBS, which is a broadcaster, in order to maximize his negotiating leverage with Comcast and Charter. So I think he needs to buy Paramount, and I think it hits those hurdles. He can't move until after April, without otherwise he risks his tax status. So okay. after April, I think it's going to get louder. Doug, I wanted to ask you too, but we ran out of time. You can give it to us in one word if you have a secondary pick. Sony. All right, Sony it is. Laura Martin, Doug Cruz, thank you. Still ahead, equity and opportunity in healthcare. The new sickle cell drugs could cure a lot of patients impacted by the debilitating disease, but getting the cost down is going to be the biggest hurdle. Our Bertha Coombs is going to give us the details when Power Lunch returns. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Let's now take a look at a disease that in this country disproportionately affects African-Americans, sickle cell anemia. New treatments offer hope, but Bertha Coombs looks at the challenge of providing access because of the high cost. For Michael Goodwin, crippling pain from sickle cell disease makes life unpredictable. I could be in the hospital 20 days out of a month sometimes, which hurts me because I have a son now. Still, he's leery of new gene therapies, which require months of intensive medical prep. And then there's the cost. Vertex's Casgevy lists for over $2 million. Bluebird Bio's Lifgenia for over $3 million. I do have insurance, but those, I mean, I, I already have medical bills. Goodwin's hesitancy doesn't surprise Dr. Julie Cantor, director of the Adult Sickle Cell Center at University of Alabama at Birmingham. My guess is even if we opened the gates today to everybody getting this therapy, at most only 10 percent of those individuals affected by sickle cell would want this therapy. Uh, And 
even that would be too much for us to manage right this second. More than 100,000 Americans have sickle cell disease, according to the CDC, with 50 to 60 percent of them covered by Medicaid. Dr. Cantor says it will take time to ramp up capacity to treat patients at scale. In the meantime, states are grappling with how to ramp up access for those on Medicaid. The immediate consideration is the cost. Uh, it is very high, and state budgets simply cannot manage that on their own. The Biden administration is launching negotiations with Bluebird Bio and Vertex for Medicaid plan discounts with payments tied to health outcomes. For Michael Goodwin, the outcome is key. If they could guarantee me the outcome that I wouldn't have sickle cell, I would do it in a heartbeat. Michael Goodwin is back in the hospital today dealing with his disease. You know, researchers hesitate to call this treatment a cure, but during Vertex's recent earnings call, the COO said that they've already signed outcome-based agreements with individual Medicaid plans, and they're working on it with commercial payers, and they're confident because so few people, he says, fail to respond. Both Vertex and Bluebird anticipate starting treatments for their very first patients in the coming weeks, John. So is it a matter of if it works, then um, it's worth it? It's, it's really a matter of paying it all at once. Uh, you, uh, researchers at the University of Washington said if you look at the cost, they're saying if it's under $2 million, which it probably would be under negotiations, hmm. you look at the long-term cost and the lifetime cost, it balances out and it right. would be worth it. But you pay that over years, so $100,000 a year. And at this point, nobody's talking about a Netflix model, but that is one of the things that people are starting to look at longer term for these breakthrough gene therapies, and a lot of them are coming down the pike. Yeah, Bertha Coombs, thank you for that important reporting. Coming up, hitting the gas on Carvana. Shares of the online used car seller are up 41% after the company reported its first ever annual profit. Our three-stock lunch trader is going to tell us how he's playing that mover and a few others next. And during February, we are celebrating Black Heritage. Here's Worldwide Technology founder and chairman David Stewart sharing his story. I was so inspired the other day when I heard the quote from Dr. Martin Luther King. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You only need a heart full of grace a soul generated by love. Let's make 2024 a great year in service to others. Let your light so shine before men so your good works will be known and your Father in heaven will be glorified. That's the only way that we can receive an eternal return on investment. Time for today's three stock lunch. Today we're looking at three stocks with huge gains over the last 52 weeks. Here with our trades is Brian Vendig. He is president of MJP Wealth Advisors. And up first is Carvana. Shares there are up nearly 7x in the last year. Stock soaring uh, about 33% intraday after posting its first ever annual profit. Brian, this stock was 360 bucks two and a half years ago. So can you buy it here? Well, John, I think, you know, with the pop that we're seeing today, it's one of those stocks that I would say might want to consider selling on the news uh, just because, you know, the enthusiasm for the stock is because it posted its first uh, annual profit. But when we think about Carvana and like you said, the volatility and the price, it's because it's so tied to the cyclical nature of what's going on in the economy. And considering that we're still in a high interest rate environment 
And there's some questions about the consumer moving forward. I think this is one where we'll traditionally sell on the news here. Okay. Up next, speaking of volatility, Supermicro. Shares of this up more than 9x in the last year as part of the AI chip excitement driven by NVIDIA. Brian, what's your trade on Supermicro? Yeah, Supermicro, I mean, look, from a longer-term point of view, you know, definitely this AI trend is going to play out over five to seven years, I think. And Supermicro is unique. It fits in the space where it's offering those high-end servers, you know, focusing on that AI infrastructure. But with such a run that we've seen in the stock and knowing that demand for those GPU uh, servers could come into question over the balance of the year, I'm sorry to disappoint, John, but I think I might have to throw out a sell on this one as well, because I'd just like to get a little bit more information about uh, Supermicro and where it's positioning moving forward, and especially considering it's trying to add in a cooling system to those servers, which still hasn't really taken hold in their numbers. Yeah, I mean, the move looks crazy, but look at the market cap. It's still under 50 billion, right? No, I, I agree. Look, it's it's a it's a perspective evaluation, John, and thinking about those growth potentials moving forward. So I am not discounting that there's not going to be growth in the technology space coming from AI and a company like Supermicro. But one thing I think you've been talking about is the with some of your guests and even on some of your other commentaries, competition could be heating up over the balance of the year. And if that demand weighs, you know, that could affect the stock. So I guess mm. what I'm trying to say is short term. Take some profits, longer term, keep an eye out because there might be an opportunity to buy on the dip. All right. From AI to AF, shares of Abercrombie & Fitch up nearly 320% in the last year thanks to rebranding efforts. Brian, what's your trade on Abercrombie? Well, Abercrombie is one of those stocks outside of the Magnificent Seven that's actually outperformed when you compare it to NVIDIA, believe it or not. And this is a company that actually has provided some durability in what they've been doing and running their business. So yes, they're in the retail space and sensitive to consumer demand. But when you think about some of the announcements that they make earlier in the year and earnings are upcoming, they've, they've really focused on controlling their inventory, uh, improving their profits and their cash flows. And for those reasons, in a place where their products seem to be in demand for their consumers, this is one I think it's worth taking a flyer on and a buy as we head into earnings early next month. All right. Well, one of the three gets the nod. Brian Vendig, thank you. Thank you, John. Still ahead, what do big tech and energy have in common? Well, not a whole lot, but there is one factor that the two sectors share. Our Pippa Stevens is going to tell us what it is next. Big tech certainly consumes a lot of energy, but our Pippa Stevens says they have something else in common that investors should note. Pippa, what is it? Well, John, hefty shareholder returns with both tech and energy companies topping the list when it comes to capital returns. So within the S&P 500, Apple takes the top spot with $98 billion paid out via dividends and buybacks over the last year, according to data from S&P Capital IQ. Alphabet and Microsoft round out the top three, with Exxon taking the fourth spot at $32.7 billion returned to shareholders. Chevron is not far behind at number six. But now when you look at returns relative to market cap, big energy actually tops big tech. Exxon's distribution stands at 7.9% of its market cap, with Chevron at 9%. That compares to Apple and Alphabet's 3.5%. 
Now, across the S&P 500, the energy sector has the highest overall yield, followed by utilities and real estate. And within the energy sector itself, upstream players are the largest payers, with Marathon Oil, Cotera and APA coming out on top. And while we're talking about market cap, get this. Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Amazon and Alphabet are now each individually larger than the entire S&P energy sector, John. That's a pretty uh, kind of astounding stat. It is. And you bring up the issue uh, within what you said there of dividend yields, right? Because it's become complicated, hasn't it, for energy stocks as you've had interest rates overall rise. It's not as if investors have to go to dividend payers in order to get that yield. They can they can go to treasuries. They can go other places. Exactly, And especially when there's so much excitement in other areas of the market. If you look at the energy sector, it's a much, much less growth profile. And so it's not attracting that same level of interest. But I think one thing we've heard from companies this round of earnings is that they are really committed to shareholder returns. It's no longer drill, baby, drill. And so they're kind of a solid bet looking forward if you do want income. I do wonder if at some point, though, these begin to converge, in part because of the relationship I kind of jokingly nodded to off the top, which is that big tech consumes a lot of energy. And this AI revolution that we've been talking about, especially there's so much data being crunched and these AI chips run so hot, at least in the near term, there's there's going to be a lot of energy consumed until we can figure out how to make that more efficient. And also, I mean, I was joking when I said that they only have one thing in common, because in reality, these energy companies harness so much data. As you said, think about even their subsurface knowledge. They are constantly looking at all of these different data points and harnessing a lot of intelligence using the fastest, the newest technology. So there's more to meet the eye between the overlap there. That's a very <laughs> interesting. We should explore that because energy exploration is often one of the top uses for big data. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time you need energy to feed these models hmm food for thought (laughs) thank you pippa and thank you for watching power lunch i'll see you in about an hour on closing bell overtime but first to scott walker and closing bell this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do so you need a business partner just like you like fedex who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you that's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.